I have been enjoying, I don't know if you've seen like Wits RCQ narrations where they like, one of them, like they showed up at a store and they didn't know if, how many people they would get and they tried, like they scrounged up eight and like half of them were commander only <laughs> players who built like 60 card sealed decks nice. or something like that. Um, no, this one, well, so I was in Charlotte for, there was like a flesh and blood draft get together. A bunch of people ah. qualified for the Pro Tour were, like, getting together trying to practice some draft. So I had gone over to Charlotte for that, and I also just kind of, like, happened to discover that on Sunday there was an RCQ, like, it, I think it's in Forest City or something. It's, like, an hour west of Charlotte. So I was like, you know, normally mm-hmm. I wouldn't go out to this one because it was, like, four hour, three or yeah. four hours away. But I was like, you know, I'll be there anyways. <laughs> I can just, like, you know, crash in Charlotte and... Uh, go to this modern RCQ. It was actually, uh, it was bigger than I expected it to be. I thought that it was going to be pretty small, but there was like 20 players or something. Yeah, all this stuff around Charlotte usually gets some yeah, number yeah, of yeah. people. Charlotte but... seems to have a big crew. But yeah, standard. Oh boy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I I can just do the intro and we can dive into the episode and get going. Sure, yeah. I'm, yeah, let's, let's rock and roll. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 287 of the MTG Grindcast. I am your host, Chris Castor-Apple. Lee is out today, but in his place, we have a uh, throwback, an MTG Grindcast classic, if you will. Collins has joined me today. Hey, hey Collins. Yeah, you and me. It's uh, it, it is an old school episode. It's been a very long time since a classic, like just CCR and Collins episode. Nice. But I'm excited. Like reminds me of something that happened at my RSQ last weekend where I was playing with our playmat, the Grindcast playmat, as I like to do. <laughs> and, yes. uh, you know, I always mm-hmm. just enjoy like, it's like, oh, you know, who's that? And and I've, I've told you about some fun experiences previously, but this time it was like, oh, is that is that Corbin Hostler? And they pointed to me on the playmat and I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> no. Or was it Covert Go Blue? Something, I don't know, something. Oh, CG. <laughs> okay, that one does, I guess, make a little more sense because he wears, like, the... It, it was, it was Covert uh, Covert Go Blue, yeah, yeah. And he was like, is that is that Covert Go Blue? Okay. And I was like, oh, no, that's, uh, that's me. <laughs> that is me. That one is funny. It's not quite as funny as is that Ralph Zarek and his boy. That one is that's forever the classic. An all-timer. <laughs> Which I should just respond, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Tomic. That's that's Tomic. And yeah. Ralph Zarek. I played with Tomic recently. Good card. Yeah, he's yeah. Ralph Zarek's boyfriend. They're very they're cute together. Uh, so today we are going to be talking. You know, we've talked about standard in the past couple of weeks, but right now we're like down to the wire. So this is the what is standard like right before the uh, United States Regional Championship. What should we be playing this weekend? You know, is is Grixis back? Are, are we doing Racto stuff? Is mid-range just not actually where you want to be anymore? We'll get into all of the details, like, at this very moment and hopefully have this episode out by Thursday at least. So it's it's useful to somebody. <laughs> yeah, Collins, I know you have been playing a lot to get ready for this one, and, and that's kind of why we wanted to get you in this week. What is your testing process been like for this um, one? Yeah, well, I've just been kind of bouncing around between the pillars. 
and yeah. I've been playing a lot. I've been looking at a lot of deck lists. I've been talking to a lot of people. And, you know, one thing that I will say right now is that I don't really remember a tournament or, like, a preparation time where people were, like, quite as stubborn as they seem to be right now on, like, what they think is good. Oh, really? Yeah, it was just kind of, like, an interesting note is that for this tournament in particular, I'm trying to, like, play something else. You know, there's, like, the pillars. And I want to play something else. So I've been, like, you know, throwing deck lists at people. What do you think about this? And, like, this one looks cool and everything like that. But everybody's like, no. You gotta play Grixis or Mono White or Esper. Those are, like, the three big ones. But I think that there is some other stuff out there. And I will talk about that as well. But we can definitely dive deep into the main pillars. Because that's what I've been focusing on the most. Yeah, then let's go over those you know, the big three and their positioning, both like how good you think they are generally and also kind of like which version, because each of the decks kind of have slightly different versions that you can bring to a tournament. And so which version of each one do you think you would lean towards? So I guess probably we start with Grixis slash Rakdos because that's that's <laughs> we I feel like we can either start or end with that one because it's gonna be the chunk of it. sure in in testing I've been shortcutting these two red black X decks because there's a mm-hmm. bunch of iterations of it mainly red black and Grixis is like the popular two but also there are some Jund lists floating floating around that I think have legs and we can talk about that as well Rakdos has some sub iterations you have the more aggressive rakdos decks and then you also have these there's this oni cult anvil rakdos list that's playing that's kind of like leaning into the the drain effects kind of recognizing that one of the things that rakdos has going for it and just kind of like all of the red black x decks is that you have this like life total inevitability system where you're uh you're fundamentally a mid-range deck but you are like a lot of your spells just kind of like incidentally deal damage when you cast them uh like graveyard trespasser and shieldred and invoke despair so your opponent's just kind of like on this clock of like you know i might be able to deal with all of the threats on the board but i'm still just gonna like lose a couple of life every time and you just can't play a long game Mm -hmm. that's the case so this Onicult Anvil deck is really leaning into that, and it's also running the three-minute Obnixilis with Casualty. And that one is definitely one of the more fringe ones, but it's like it's one of the archetypes that I'm considering. Where does that give you an advantage over... In the mirrors and against okay. white. I feel like that deck is... like That kind of like <clears throat> aggressive inevitability style works out really well mm-hmm. in the mirrors when... Your opponent just like isn't equipped to be answering these value engines in Onicult Anvil and Omnixilis. It's just kind of like an on-the-board system. So that's like one of the angles that people are taking for for red black. And then you know, there's also like the like the red black mid-range deck that got really popular. Uh, I think in the last couple of RCQs, and it seems to be threatening to replace Grixis as the most popular red black X build. Yeah, I think that that really blew up two weeks ago at the Canadian Regional Championship uh, and then has been part of the Grixis milieu and in, in like subsequent tournaments, but hasn't quite taken over for Grixis completely. Yeah, I, I think that the, the reason that people are kind of leaning towards that is that they've recognized that being aggressive is really rewarded right now in the format and they just like want to be able to have those aggressive draws 
consistently. For a long time, people just had forgotten about Graveyard Trespasser, and then like the red-black players were like, you know, we're not playing uh, Corpse Praiser anymore. Well, let's just throw four Graveyard Trespassers in here, and then they were like, wow, this is really good. This card's broken, and everybody should be playing it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that that really was a a pretty big reaction to Esper Legends, which is tough to beat with Grixis. Mm-hmm. Drawing a Make Disappear when your opponent has a Rafine on the board is uh, not good. No. So uh, shrinking down a little bit in, in size and in colors, taking the counter spells out of the deck, playing more cutdowns, was like a big part of the yeah. the impetus to go Rakdos, and and then you know then you can beat down a little harder. Where it really costs you, I think, is in the mono white matchup, where you now no longer can stop an Eternal Wanderer from coming down and just ruining everything, or right. a, a Sanctum Warden. Uh, that's the name of the angel, right? Sanctum. I, never I think it is Sanctum Warden. Yeah. Names of angels. They're all a mix of like five <laughs> words. But, but yeah, you can't you can't stop a Sanctum Warden from coming down if you're Rakdos, and and so those like heavy hammers are kind of lights out, and you you can only really play the Invoke Despair get you dead game, and if they manage to uh, keep that from happening, keep you from getting early damage in, then a lot of your cards are are not very good anymore. So that's that's the cost of playing Rakdos, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think that the Grixis players are really just kind of like learning the lessons that Rakdos has taught us over the past two weeks and applying them to Grixis. So the Grixis lists that I've seen have kind of transitioned back into like committing to the main deck removal spells, not trying to like get too crazy with the outgrinding and stuff. Not not playing like two blade coil serpents or whatever yeah. in the flex slots. Yeah. I mean, you can still have those blade coil serpents, but they belong in the sideboard now. <laughs> so Yeah. You got to get the cutdowns in the main deck. Yeah. So. And you know, it's so funny because, you know, every every black deck that I've played has four cutdowns in the main. And it's a respect to Esper. And you just have to respect Esper in that way. Esper is very, very strong. I Probably in a vacuum, like the strongest stuff that you can be doing. Skrulv into two into Rafine or Adeline into Shieldred is just it's like just so bonkers. on the play. Nobody really beats that. Yeah, yeah, it's just so bonkers. So like you have to be prepared for it. You have to have the removal spells to disrupt that sequence that you just mentioned. Really important that your removal spells cost one mana sometimes because Dali is a thing. You have to answer the Skrulv yeah. on one. Rafine has Ward. Yeah, right. Yeah, Rafine has Ward. Just, so just like a lot of elements that like make you respect that deck. So everybody is. And I think that is consequentially putting Esper in a bad spot right now. Mm-hmm. So my my call for this weekend is that Esper is going to have a bad time. I think that it kind of has been having a bad time in the past couple of weekends, and I don't think that that's really going to stop. Just because like the Grixis lists are prepared for it now. I think the Grixis lists as they stand right now are a really good balance for everything that we're seeing in the format. They're not, they're, you know, the format has evolved to the point where people can kind of like recognize and tune like what you need to have for each matchup. Not a lot of people are exploring kind of like outside the realms of stuff there. I, I do want to co- talk about a couple of other deck lists that people should take a look at. But um, I think Grixis is doing a really good job of like having that balance between fighting Esper in the aggressive sense and also being able to compete against Mono White. 
I, I mean, I like can't overstate the impact of having four to five counter spells in your deck post board against mono. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, go, it goes from the six mana spells being just unbeatable as long as they hit their sixth land drop and then you just die to them to like there's a huge risk to putting one of them on the stack and getting blown out by a disdainful stroke or a make disappear yeah because that's i mean that's really just all it takes because you you know i've been playing a lot of mono white and you're playing against grixis and they just like have this big board presence and i'm like all right well my answer to this big board presence is the six mana spell and if it doesn't resolve mm -hmm. i'm just gonna be dead next turn and yep. you know I think that's just a spot that you can find yourself in a lot against Grixis. Um, so that's part of why I have moved away from white, mostly. Um, mm -hmm. I think white is really powerful and really, um, you know, it's, it's doing really good stuff. Like, the, the white cards in this format are no joke. Um, but and, and if you anticipate that your the metagame is going to be, like, all Esper and then, like instead of Grixis, mostly Rakdos decks that are trying to trying as hard as they can to beat Esper, then Mono White is the choice. Like For that's sure. the only deck you should play if you think that's the format. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it definitely it definitely has its its spot. And I think that if I thought that everybody that was playing Grixis previously is transitioning into red black, I would mm -hmm. probably be playing white at this tournament. Um sure. because I you know I think that your red black matchup is really good and I think that your Esper matchup is good. As long as you are packing the um, the sweepers that you need, but as it stands, I think you know enough people that I've talked to are sticking to their guns on playing Grixis. They're like, okay, we've we've figured out why Grixis has stumbled these past couple weekends. We're gonna solve those problems in deck building and deck construction and the way that they're approaching matchups post board. Grixis is probably, I think, where I'm gonna land this weekend. I mean, looking at the numbers of the you know compositions of tournaments with these so it's kind of odd like going from tournament to tournament so like the saturday and you know magic online is its own thing it's a different metagame from the paper united states metagame but it's still worth looking at yeah like the saturday challenge the you know 25 percent of the top 32 eight of the decks are some variety of rectos and grixis and that's evenly split down the middle four copies of rectos four copies of grixis you get to sunday and there's only two Grixis midrange showing up in the top 32, and there's 12 Rakdos yeah. in the top 32. <laughs> right. So this is a, a really, really strange meta where, like, like Rakdos was heavily played and won a lot. People were not, like, quite ready for it, I guess, which is, which is odd. And it may be, like, the existence of all of these Selesnya enchantment decks, which I think can be tough for Grixis because you're playing this much longer game and then they land a uh what's the four mana enchantment called oh god yeah <laughs> the, they land one of those and then you never ever win whereas with rakdos you have a much better chance of life draining them out of the game before that becomes relevant yeah i i probably don't you know this is a sunday challenge you always have to take sunday challenges with a grain of salt and even though like this is a meta game where you're like yeah i should probably pack mono white for this one huh with some destroy evils in my sideboard for the enchantments deck this is probably not the meta that we're getting yeah. at that regionals yeah i i don't suspect that that'll be the case you know as much as i want to be able to farewell the uh enchantments deck to oblivion <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not what i'm going to be doing but yeah i mean i think that the grixis now can just kind of play that aggressive stance against these like go over the top decks and and still be successful there 
Sure. Yeah, and and that's really important. As long as the the stuff you're trying to get under isn't exactly like six mana kill all of your stuff. That's right. That's what you try to avoid. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Another uh, like red black X archetype that has it seems to be like you know ebbing and flowing in popularity, but definitely on the flow right now is the cruelty of Gix Atraxa decks. Yes. It seems like there are some new lists popping up that highlight Atsushi, uh, the Blazing Sky, as like a, a an element that kind of like bridges the gap to hard casting the Atraxas stuck in your hand. And it seems like that card might be some good glue for this archetype, because a lot of people are playing it now to, to reasonable success. Uh, it seems to like spike every other tournament as well. And it's always so hard to recognize when it is doing that because being able to like navigate MTG Goldfish has become really difficult when all of the decks are labeled Rakdos mid-range <laughs> or, you know, five color mid-range or whatever. Uh, you know, Atraxa is really powerful and I think that like, you know, reanimating it isn't really the best thing that you can be doing with it right now just because of all of the graveyard trespassers. But, you know, figuring out some way to use Elias Atraxa is definitely going to be a way to to win games against all these mid-range decks. Yeah, and I mean, Graveyard Trespasser is certainly a thing that can stop you from doing, you know, it stops you from doing the, like, completely ridiculous, like, uh, fable discard to Fable and then on turn five cast, not, you know, reanimate my Atraxa. It stops, like, that kind of sequencing. It doesn't stop, you know play around the graveyard trespasser by discarding the extraxa to my blood token right before i want to reanimate yeah. it which is often you know so so it's it's pretty good against the deck it doesn't completely cut you off right but i agree i actually i, I don't know if you saw this the the atraxa control deck that won the south america regional championship um yeah i was uh i was preparing to talk about that at some point oh yeah, okay yeah. um well, like the band deck yeah mm-hmm. Like almost blue white control, but like splashing green for mana fixing so that you can cast a Traxa. <laughs> yeah, just two Traxas in the deck and we're just casting them. Nothing fancy. Seven mana. That's that's workable. We can do that. Yeah, I really like that control list. I think Namor Squats was a, a Magic Online name that I recognize. And I think they won either a challenge. Was it a challenge? Yeah, I think it was a ch- the most recent challenge. This deck is doing, I think, like everything that I think is really good right now in the format, which is have counter spells, have sweepers, and just like be able to go over the top in some way. Also, kind of like pet favorite card in the standard format right now is Contagious Vorak. I love yeah. that guy. You know, this list is running three of them. It's just a 3-3 three, three for three and uh, finds you land. And... Honestly, couldn't say anything else that I would want out of a three drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it comes down, gives you a bit of board presence, keeps you from taking three damage for free off of their blood tithe harvester every turn. Like, just is is there. I actually like really psyched for Contagious Vorak as a partner with battles because it's just you know Ooh. a body that you can put on the board that isn't costing you anything but does hit for three damage so if you have a battle in play then you're threatening to flip your battle with mm-hmm. your your cantrip guy which i think is a thing you want if you want to defend your own battles you can mm-hmm. proliferate your battles 
oh, give them a little extra defend life. The battles that they have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm just saying, watch out for this uh, Phyrexian boar beast. He's coming for the battles. It's seen quite a bit of play in these, like, I'm going to cast my Atraxa decks generally yeah. that have, like, a lot of triumphs in mm-hmm. it, and it, it does the job for sure. It's funny, though, that this Atraxa Leyline Binding deck is also just like, yeah, Lay Down Arms is the removal spell that I want. I can just make all of my lands planes. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I do find that funny. But it works. I mean, you know, you just, like, have a million triumphs, and they're all planes. So... Like, yep. Most of the stuff that you want to exile is three CMC or less anyways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like on turn three, you cast a laydown arms and you don't need any planes in play because what you're getting is a, a, <laughs> a fable token. So Yeah. And the other overperformer for me from this deck is herd migration. The first time I discarded this for a land, I was very pleasantly surprised that you gain three life when you do that. That, that the exact same experience. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being like in a tight spot against a shieldred, and you know I had to cycle it for a land, so I did, and then I gained three life, and I was like, "Wow, I just that just won me the game. I'm just like gonna win now. That's crazy." Yeah. And then you know also just getting five three threes. That's a lot of three threes. I've seen a lot of games end that way with this deck where it's just like, "Mm, if they don't have anything, then maybe I can win with these like two dudes that I have in play and that they just make five three threes with their like (laughs) with their lay of the land. Yeah, five three threes invalidates pretty much every standard board state that I've seen, you know, (laughs) like even when like mono white or Rakdos kind of like goes unchecked. They fill up the board. They got a lot of stuff going. Maybe Mono White has some Planeswalkers making a bunch of tutus or whatever. Or, you know, Rakdos has, like, made infinite tutus with their fables. Just five three threes, And, you know, you're at parity. At, you know, like, a, a from, like, an untenable board state. It's it's pretty mm-hmm. wild. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been in the spot where I've been like, okay, if they cast a Traxa, I can kill them here. And then instead, the seven mana that they're tapping is for herd migration. And I cannot kill them there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I will say that that is one of the things that Atraxa decks generally suffer from is like you are behind on board in a significant way. And like Atraxa is like your last piece of gas and you cast it and then your opponent go for the throats and kills you. And that mm-hmm. feels bad. But I will say that I think that this deck is pretty good at not putting themselves in that spot. You know, just like a lot of interaction that is powerful. Uh, you got your lay down arms. You've got your ley line bindings. You got the you know the counter spells for the big scary stuff. Pretty good at like answering and invoke. I I'm a big fan of this deck, and it it is one of the bigger considerations that I'm having for this weekend. But the only problem that I've run into is that when I play against a good Grixis player, it feels mm-hmm. very difficult. Because it suffers from the same thing that Mono White suffers from, where like your big catch-up spells are all like a lot of mana, and if your opponent has operated their stuff correctly and has the counter spell in time, uh, it makes things pretty difficult. Yeah, and you have no way of forcing things through. The best you can do is like you know end step a Wandering Emperor and hope that they bite on that or you know whatever, uh, and and it you can't use a negate to force through your eternal wanderer or your farewell right so i think that what you really have to do with a deck like this is just kind of like maintain board state parity all the way up the chain Mm -hmm. and that's pretty tough to do uh, a lot of the time you know when you have so many kind of like clunky cards like if you're trying to cast memory deluge and cycle a bunch of herd migrations 
you're going to fall behind on board. And that's tough for to recover from against Grixis. Grixis is just really good at uh, snowballing and you know, punishing any sort of like catch a mechanic. I mean, I do love the four main deck wedding announcements in this deck. I think that that is a, a really heads up. Yeah. Like, I don't want to cast a removal spell on turn three. Like, I want to cast something that is annoying for them to deal with and is going to stymie their attempts to kill me. Yeah, exactly. And also, I will say that with the prevalence of Invoke Despair right now in the format, wedding mm. announcement is almost feels like the best counter to Invoke Despair. You just sure. cast it with kind of the expectation that your wedding announcement and token are going to be trading for most of their five mana spell. And that has felt good enough for me. You know, I've been really trying to explore like, you know, the general play patterns, the popular cards and what things line up well against what other things. And I think that's part of why like Mono White in general has a good, it just like doesn't really care too much about an Invoked Spare is that they just like throw out things that are going to trade for most of the Invoked Despair. And, you know, sure, it's not great, but it's, it's you know, it, it doesn't make the Invoked Despair feel like a three for one anymore. Especially if you do the, I mean, this is, it's weird how sometimes like matchups get so defined by like a specific sequence of interactions. Yeah. But I have seen so many games kind of decided by like they played a Fable, Mono White had the ossification for the Fable token, and now they have a free enchantment to sacrifice to an Invoke Despair that, like, doesn't cost them anything. Yes. And then yeah. that just makes casting Invoke, like, awful. It, it's so hard to spend a turn doing that then. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That that was one of the lines that I would always look for playing that matchup from the white side, is that, I like, mm -hmm. you know, I have this ossification, and the first ossification that I cast is going after token, if it can. You know, because it's yeah. that's just, like, an additional card three turns from now four turns from now whatever definitely and two life which and two life <laughs> which and you could just you know gotta get as much of those as you can yeah <laughs> we could transition into talking about mono white a little bit as well off of that sure i did work a lot on mono white and i have some interesting conclusions to share with those who still want to play mono white this weekend which i think there shall be plenty the my Two drop of choice is, I think, different than everybody else's two drop of choice. I've seen, <laughs> I may, and I might have talked about this last time, but everybody seems to be playing the the farmhand or the puppy. And they're both one ones that effectively draw a card. But I am a big fan of Rafine's Informant. I think that just like having a bigger body, like the, the minimum two power has been really irrelevant to not falling behind on board, which sure. has felt really important to me specifically against Grixis. Like, if I can cast my Rafine's Informant and filter my hand a little bit and then trade that off for, you know, a token or a, a Blood Tithe Harvest or just, like, anything I can, I'm feeling a lot better about the game than if I just, like, played a 1-1 and I had to chump in that spot instead. So, big fan of Rafine's Informant. Not a big fan of the Eternal Wanderer. The I've got some in my mono-white sideboard, and they're... They excel in the mirror specifically, um, mm -hmm. and they're also kind of like good top end against uh, Esper Legends, just because you can kill a bunch of stuff with them. Sweepers are good against Esper Legends, yeah, yeah for sure. But even there, they're a little awkward because, you know, if on turn six your opponent had a second Thalia or whatever, it you're it's just really difficult to cast an Eternal Wanderer in that spot. You have to wait a long time. 
but so I'm a, a little lower on that card than I think most people are. I, I feel like people have gone up on this card a lot, and based on my experience, that's just not where I want to be. Bad against it's really bad against Grixis because they can counterspell it, or just invoke spare is the main reason why I'm not a big fan of it. Is because you know you can you can play it. Maybe you make a two-two. Maybe you kill a couple of your opponent's creatures, simplify the board or whatever. But just like a single invoke spare, and your six mana planeswalker is gone. I found it very difficult to keep them around in these matchups. Uh, so like every time I've like needed it to be that like big card advantage catch up spell, it just has kind of fallen short a little bit. So yeah, definitely a little lower on the Eternal Wanderer. On the flip side of things, I'm very high on Sanctuary Warden. Sanctuary Warden, I think is just the best six mana thing that you can be doing against these red black X decks. It's really good against Invoke. Uh, it's got some shield counters on it, so it's going to be difficult for them to answer. And just like sticky threats are, are excellent in, against them. Uh, and kind of along the same lines, I'm a big fan of AO. Uh, I like to have a couple of AOs. So I'm definitely a lot more like creature oriented in my my mono white deck. And I, I like being in that spot against the red black decks. I think that the planeswalkers are just a little too easily answered by Invoke Despair. Right. You're, when you commit so much mana to a thing and then you have no ability to do anything except sacrifice it if they have that invoke on their turn, uh, I I have felt a, a similar way too. I mean, you know, the Eternal Wanderer is one thing, but when it's a an Elspeth or a an, Eter, uh, an Eternal Wanderer, like, it, it's very difficult to... You're just opening yourself up to it in a way that I don't think is the best way to win games. Yeah, yeah. And then the other card that I see in some lists and not others is Steel Seraph. Big, big fan of Steel Seraph right now. Um, sure. I It provides that incidental life gain that I feel like is so important against um, uh, these uh, red-black lists. The curve of being able to play it on turn three after a Bankbuster, crew the Bankbuster, give it lifelinks, smack them. That's really sick. It's, yeah. it's really strong. You know, it just like sets you up to like have a board presence... Um, Steel Seraph is just really hard to kill from these red-black decks. A Braid is the only removal spell that touches it, and their raids are pretty priced into hitting your Reckon or Bankbusters. So if you're able to just kind of like dodge that a little bit and get your get your Bankbuster safe because they had to kill your Steel Seraph because it was threatening to gain you three life and get in some damage, really powerful. So Yeah, I, and I do kind of like that setup of... Like, I hate the builds of Mono White that are just, like, a bunch of 1-1s, and it's basically just impossible to crew your Reckoner Bankbuster before <laughs> turn, like, 7. Or, like, you have to yeah. you have to flip your Bankbuster in order to crew it. Right. And I, I really like that combination of, like, I've got these Steel Seraphs for that, like, really nice curve. I've also got Rafine's Informants, which can hit that 3 power and do the crewing thing and having that versatility with your bank buster just makes it so much stronger yeah yeah so yeah that's kind of like the position that i want my mono white decks to be in just kind of like like i said before like along the chain you know up your mana curve being able to like stay at parity and not just like relying on these haymaker sixes and fives or whatever mm. to to kind of like do your heavy lifting yeah so the issue that i ran into is that the reason for me wanting to play mono white is that I wanted my red black X matchup to be a slam dunk and it just wasn't the matches are really close. 
you know, maybe you're 55 against them, but I didn't feel like I was beating these red-black decks with the consistency that I wanted to that would justify me playing this kind of, like, slower, grindy deck. So then let's talk about, I mean, we talked about Grixis a little bit, but can we talk about your philosophy for the mirror then? Because I think that that becomes really important when you say, okay, I'm going to lock in on Grixis because I think that it is good at doing the things that I need to do. And I, I think one of the things you're kind of saying at that point is I know how to play this mirror and I have my plan. So do you have uh, <laughs> you know, any, any words of advice for people playing Grixis mirrors in this upcoming tournament? Um, yeah, um, the best plan is to not have one. <laughs> <laughs> a little counterintuitive, but I'll, I'll try to explain what I mean. Yeah, um, let's, let's, let's hear. So th- th- within the red, so I, I assume that what you, when you say mirrors, you're kind of like talking about any like, you know, red, black X matchup. Um, yeah. And any, any time that we both have fables in our deck. Right. Yeah. So there are so many iterations of those decks that there's not really a single plan that works against all of them. You really have to make sure that your sideboard is adjustable to what your opponent is trying to do against you. I'll go into some examples for that. Like there is the, just kind of like the the clean red black list who is like trying to be aggressive and like drain you out over time they're like leaning more into razor lashes and stuff like that so you you have to be really prepared for their razor lashes that's like one of the um like the corners of this mirror that you kind of like have to be prepared for so i'm a big fan of uh flame bless bolt as like a couple of cards out of the sideboard to be able to answer Mm. and exile um razor lashes so that card's like a slam dunk against decks that are bringing in a bunch of Razor Lashes, but it's not something I would play against like a stock Grixis list that's not really playing many Razor Lashes. Right, um, or against a, a Cruelty of Gix deck or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, just to kind of like highlight how you're you're supposed to be flexible and adjust to what you're... And so for me, that that I like putting myself in a position where I have an answer to whatever they're trying to do. Um, so like if they're playing... Um, red, black, Atraxa, you know, I, I need to be able to have plenty of counter spells, uh, that I probably wouldn't be playing against just like a smaller, more lean, uh, red, black deck. So, you know, I want to have like a, a, some, uh, like plenty of counter spells that can answer both, uh, the cruelty of Gix and just like an Atraxa when it's time for them to cast that in the late, late game. So my main goal for Grixis is just to have flexible tools in my sideboard and for me, because it's open decklist, to be able to look at my opponent's decklist, look at their sideboard, try to suss out like what their plan is going to be, and play something that is countering that in some way. Yep, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, mean, I definitely wish that there was some like, you know, <laughs> you got to be on this plan, and you can beat the red black decks. But they're just so diverse. Uh, you just kind of have to be ready for for anything that they could throw at you. And uh, that's tough. And I think that's part of what makes this standard format just really good right now is that I think that like there just aren't many easy answers. Yeah, for sure. I think a couple of things that you do need to be aware of when playing these matches are the some common play patterns that you just need to get down. Because if, if you sit down and you play your first match of a Grixis Mirror 
at the RC and then your opponent just like knows the sequencing and you don't know the sequencing, mm. they're going to beat you. Yeah. And big parts of that are the fable sequencing in the early turn where you're both fable decks and you need to not let them get a treasure out of their fable and you need to make them do weird, you know, make them not be able to use their mana optimally in stopping you from getting the treasure off of your fable. So it's stuff like they're on the play, they pass the turn with mana up and you have a choice between blood tithe harvester or leaving mana up. Like you should probably leave your mana up because they kept this hand. They're likely to have a fable. If you play blood tithe harvester, they'll kill it on your turn and then play a fable and you need to like not let that happen and just, you know, visualize how the the, you know, turns two through four are going to play out if they have a fable figure out what they're representing and what's in their range and it it is different every game sometimes it's right to slam the fable sometimes it's not right to slam the fable you just gotta figure out what's gonna happen and what you can deal with and and what your range is too yeah no really excellent point for sure and it reminds me of like one of the first level up moments that I feel like I had in Magic the Gathering where I was playing a Goblin Rabble Master mirror and you know the two key cards in the mirror are Goblin Rabble Master and Lightning Strike for your Goblin Rabble Master. And I just remember you know I, I'm a guy I have a deck and I cast my spells when I see them right you know that was my level of magic at the time and I was on the draw and I played my second land and I passed the turn uh, after my opponent had played their second land and passed the turn. And I'm like, this is great. I'm, I have Goblin Master and Lightning Strike in my hand, and I'm, I'm going to get them because I'm on the draw, and they're going to cast their spell, and I'm going to kill it, and I'm going to untap, and I'm going to cast my spell. And they played their third land and passed. And I'm like, ooh, they don't have it. So I played my third land, played my Rabble Master, they Lightning Struck it, untapped, played their Rabble Master. And I was like, oh, you can just not cast your spells? <laughs> 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 wait, wait a minute. <laughs> um, yep. So, yeah, so I think that this format really highlights stuff like that, where the, the snowball element of these red-black mirrors is very real, and you have to be cognizant of it, and you have to make sure that you're not allowing your opponent to use their spells efficiently enough and uh, on tempo more than you're able to use your spells. Because, you know, if, if both you and your opponent are drawing all the same cards, you know, like uh, Blood Tide Harvester, Fables, stuff like this, you know, if, if your opponent is able to line up their key cards with yours better than you are with them, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, you, you got to figure out, if you have all the same cards as your opponent, you need to figure out how to make some of your cards better than their cards. So, so yeah, great point. Yeah, and sometimes passing the turn when you could otherwise you know, like cast a, a, a creature or something that would just easily get removed with your opponent's open mana, uh, it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. And yeah. another big, you know, speaking of like jamming into two mana spells, I think the, the biggest thing with Grixis in particular is that the two mana counter spell is pretty much for Fable. So mm -hmm. if you are in a spot where you're just jamming your Fable, your Fable into your opponent's two mana a lot on turn three, uh, it's just going to get countered. And that's just such a clean answer to your fable that I, you just really can't afford uh, when everybody has so much so much value in their deck. So Sure. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's one of the advantages of having like the Graveyard Trespasser because then they need to think about 
whether it's worth using the counterspell there because of the mana when trespassers like you know fine if it goes unchecked but gets outsized eventually and it also is a really good play if you're like oh they have a braid up right now like i know like i I just like feel it in my heart of hearts then like the perfect play is graveyard trespasser yeah yeah definitely so yeah uh, i'm trying to think of any other like common red black play patterns that come up a lot well one thing that we talked about with uh nick price after the philippines regional championship that he top aided with grixis is that you may want to have different approaches on the play and the draw in especially like the the like actual mirror where you're nobody's doing cruelty of gix stuff like you're you're both casting like very similar spells where he and his team like kept their shieldreds in on the play but then on the draw you didn't want your shieldreds you wanted more removal because of the liability of like i i don't want to slam down the shield or destabilize and then they kill it with a two mana spell i I need to play more of a controlling game Uh, so that is something to consider as well yeah and another reason to not have shielders in your deck or even just like rely on shielded in that matchup is that on the draw turn four you're you're kind of like passing the turn into your opponent's invoke turn so Mm -hmm. if your like stabilization method is to slam your shielded and hope that it lives and then you get invoked, and your opponent is able to attack you with their creatures, you know, their you're game dead. is going to yeah. end. <laughs> That's it. <Yeah>. You lost. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, play yeah, play draw is, is, it makes a lot of difference in, in how I want to be sideboarding, how I want to be approaching things. Very dynamic mirrors. Well, since we've talked about, uh, you know, all the main, de- the main big three decks in the format, and I do think that that blue-white base deck that it, like that's my favorite list that i've seen that has the cast attracts a plan i think that it's it's really well built for a number of reasons i also do want to get your opinion on selesnia enchantments as a way yeah. to kind of get around everything that everybody's doing i think the enchantments has an excellent matchup against the red black decks and that was actually a reason why i was playing a green splash for a while in red black um, so I was on Jund, uh, kind of like right after this Slesley Enchantments deck came out, uh, because I felt like green had just kind of a little more tools. Uh, because that matchup is, is it's really bad, and that's kind of why the I think the Slesnia deck was able to have success that weekend. The Slesnia deck, the Enchantments deck has a, a kind of like a major flaw, though, which is <laughs> the Esper matchup. Esper Legends is very difficult for the enchantment stack. And, you know, I played some of the enchantment stack. I thought it was going to be the new hotness. And then I just kind of played against Esper a couple of times. And I was like, oh, uh, this is why, <laughs> this is why this isn't just the slam dunk that I want it to be. That's not a reason not to play it. Uh, if that's like your style, but you do have to recognize that you, you're in a bit of a rock, paper, scissors scenario where if you play enchantments, you're going to probably beat all of the red, black decks, but also you're going to lose to Mono White and you're going to lose to Esper. And I'm just not sure that that's a place that you want to be. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be Scissors and have two different rock decks if if that's kind of what's happening. Yeah, there. that yeah. does sound not great. And, you know, it may even be true that paper is, you know, a two to one percentage of the metagame. But it's still, you know, it's like the other two decks that people are heavily considering for this weekend. I do not want to be facing uh, with with uh, enchantments. So yeah, I yeah I I 
like my take is is very similar and i think that if you are playing enchantments you probably have to have discovered a better build than the one that currently exists and it has to have kind of fixed a couple of things i i think getting attacked very early especially with evasive guys like esper is able to do is so bad for you because you just have so much air in the form of you know communion with spirits is sweet it's way less sweet when there's a thalia in play <laughs> Teachings of the Kirin is not a powerful magic card. Spirited Companion is a 1-1 that gives you a lot of synergies, but it's still a 1-1 for two mana. You gotta find a way to fit more removal into this deck or something, and I don't know if that's like, I can make the mana base work with laydown arms or what, but yes, I I agree completely that it just falls flat against some of the things that you're going to run into. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, like, in theory you know the enchantment stack you have a lot of these like uh you know two mana exile creature cards like ossification and um i think it's called circle of confinement you know and you can jam a bunch of those in your deck but they're just not the answers that i wanted them to be against these creature decks and part of the reason for that is that i remember reading pascal's uh little write-up about enchantments i think he posted it on twitter at some point and he said that one of the bigger flaws for enchantments was that if you flood even a little bit, it's over. You just mm-hmm. like you're not a deck that can really come back from that. You don't have all of these blood tokens and fables to be able to loot all of your extra lands away. Flooding is like very real, and every time you draw that extra land, it is actually a brick. It's not like a card that you can hope to turn into another card with a blood token down the line. You're just flooded. So because of that, you have to play a really low land count, and because of that you're often operating these games on three to four lands for a long time. That is something that Esper preys on very well. Is it like if you're stuck on three lands and you're playing against Esper, they're going to run you over because all of their cards are extremely efficient and they are looting all the time and they're drawing extra cards and they're putting on a lot of pressure. And if you're only able to do like one to two things every turn that are like, you know, hopefully impactful, God forbid your opponent has a Thalia in play. <laughs> yeah, that is also a card that exists. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of like uh, the beginning and end of my trip down Selesnia Lane. I, I thought it was great for that weekend that he played it. I just, I'm, I'm too worried that there's going to be a lot of Esper players around. Nope. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. What else should we talk about standard wise? I reiterate my point from last week which is that i don't think the aggro decks make a lot of sense because all the adjustments that the grixis and rakdos decks have made to deal with esper legends are twice as good against the aggro (laughs) decks so um, yeah or maybe the same amount of good as the other stuff but esper is twice as good aggro deck as the other ones (laughs) i I just think it's like much more punishing when you're losing your like three drops to their cut downs yeah so for sure for sure yeah um I, you know, I played a good amount of Mono Red at the beginning of the format, and every once in a while I've fired up a league with it. It's just not quite there. I just don't think that the support is there for it, and everybody's really prepared for it. I was also pretty high on Soldiers for a little bit. I think that Soldiers was kind of, like, disrespected for a while in the format, especially when people were kind of, like, off the cutdowns before Esper came out. Yeah. And I was really impressed with Protect the Negotiators. And the build of soldiers that I saw doing really well was just four main deck Protect the Negotiators 
and three main deck Wandering Emperors just to be able to play this kind of like flashy game. Because there's mm. a surprising amount of flash soldiers. The Resolute Reinforcements makes two dudes, curves beautifully into the best card in your decks, Sky Strike Officer. There's the 2-1 Flyer, yeah. The, uh, and then, yeah, the 2-1 Flyer. So I, I definitely thought that soldiers would have some legs. Because you, you know, you, you play this aggressive game, uh, you're, you know, you're initially beating down, and that's all great. But then you, you're able to back that up with this, like, counterspell protection flash game. It really reminded me of Spirits uh, in that way. So I was like, is the mm-hmm. Soldiers the new Spirits? Like, is this great? Can we do this? But then, you know, kind of in the same line as everything else, my red-black matchup just wasn't the slam dunk that I wanted it to be. You know, very hard to, you know, beat yep. just, like, infinite removal spells and, like, big card advantage and all this other stuff. Right. And then adjustments get made with more cutdowns being added to those decks. The white decks start running more four-mana wraths, and then all of a sudden, like, what are what are we really beating anymore? We're losing points in, like, every place. Yeah. The, the other kind of, like, outside deck that I've been seeing pop up a, r- a lot has been uh, Mono Blue. Mono Blue, is, I think that, you know, there's one Mono Blue list that did really well in one of these pizza box tournaments. This just, like, a, I'm not even sure what this pizza box tournament stuff is. I think is. it's a streamer who holds uh, community tournaments. Yeah, but they're big, you know, so, like, th- yeah. I think the results of these are, are, are notable. Um, mm-hmm. And there was like an 8-0 uh, mono blue list that I saw that looked interesting. And, you know, I, I played a little bit of this deck as well. Uh, it's doing some good stuff. It's hard to play. It's, you have to, you, you gotta really pull it out of the bag when you're playing this. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't just like do your stuff on curve. You have to recognize that you should not be casting your first creature until like turn six. Yeah. <laughs> And that's it. Just that's weird when you've got Delver Secrets in your deck. <laughs> so you know, like maybe that's a turn one one, but like you know, you're 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 really just like a Hottie Gen combo deck. And I mean, Hottie Gen is the scary one. That that card is really really good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think that you know this deck definitely had some some legs at some point. But the nail in the coffin for me for this deck was the readaptation adaptation. At I don't know. Adoption, yeah. <laughs> the re the readoption of graveyard trespasser mm. because yeah because your honeygen combo deck and a Tolarian terror deck uh, if your opponent is just like getting all these extra spells out of your graveyard it is surprisingly impactful on your ability to right. like close uh, or even just cast your Tolarian terrors. You're also a a pass the turn deck, so a werewolf. Is that yeah, that we're, it's going to be a 4-4, and it's getting two spells out of your graveyard, and your Talarian Terror is getting more expensive than less expensive, and that's tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that I think makes me a little sad about this format, is that uh, all these cool decks are around, and I'll just like name a red-black card that messes it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of been the story for a few different formats right now. Yeah. Red-black's just the best deck in like every format at the moment somehow. I think it might be. Maybe not Legacy, but... Uh... Okay, yes. You can't play Force of Will in a red-black deck, so... Um, and you can't play Brainstorm in a red-black deck. Ooh, yeah, but these are good cards. That's what we need. Blood Tithe Harvester in Standard and Pioneer, mm-hmm. and then, you know, Grief Fury, Grief Season Fury. Pyromancer in Modern. That's Ragavan. Rag- well, yeah, Ragavan goes without saying. Ragavan coming to Historic. 
on Arena. I don't know if really? you saw. <laughs> oh, any adjustments to Ragavan? Or no, just so as it's, is? It's because it's on the bonus sheet. Like, additional cards in March of the Machine are all, like, legends from across the multiverse with, like, various showcase treatments depending on what plane they're from. Uh, and so Ragavan is on that sheet, and so it is being brought into Arena, and they were just like, yeah, it's an experiment. We're going to put it in there and see what happens in Historic. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, wow. No, no lightning be, bolt, though. That'll be something. So maybe they can... I don't know. <laughs> we got to squeak that one in there as well at some point. <laughs> yeah. I Like, like you know, lightning bolt and counterspell were in the mystical archive, but never became legal. So right. maybe at some point we just kind of squeeze those back in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good old Ragavan. I love some Ragavan. He never did anybody go wrong. I, you know, I would be much more game to play historic, but it's so heavily based around these like random alchemy three drops that I need to like figure out what they do every time that it just saps all of my desire to like go in there and brew because like actually the best thing is some legend that I've never heard of that costs like one black red. It is tough. Yeah. And I think I know what you're talking about with that, with that legend. I feel like uh, I saw that not too long ago and was very surprised. <laughs> it like makes a treasure and fixes your hand every turn and also is a three, three first strike. I think. Yeah. Um, you get to like almost tutor in your end step and get a treasure. Yeah. It's like yeah. pretty crazy. What, whatever that card is, is really good. But there's also just a bunch of cards that you've never seen before. Like everybody's deck is built around a card you've never heard of. Mm -hmm. And so that just really makes me not feel like it. Yeah, you you got to commit if you're going to do it. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. But that could transition us into talking about a small handful of spoilers if if you Ooh. don't have too much else to talk about standard. This is great. I actually am going to be pretty fresh on these spoilers. So nice. Hit me with them. Yeah. If, if we just want to like walk through ones that stood out to me, um, I, I picked out just a small handful of, of ones that I like. One is Kroxa and Kunaros. This is one of the like team up legends. So it is three red, white, black for a 6-6 six, six legendary elder giant dog with vigilance, menace, and lifelink. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may exile five cards from your graveyard. When you do, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So I think that this is probably just like a really powerful mid-rangey like haymaker effect in smaller formats. It also just wins you the game if you have uh what's the name of the mill altar from the Hogak decks? Uh oh, altar of dementia. So it is just straight up an in like not infinite combo, but at least like a win the game combo with altar of dementia because of the way that these triggers work this comes into play even with zero cards in your graveyard you can sacrifice it to the altar resolve the etb uh you've milled six cards because it has six power so you can exile five of them to return this to play and just keep doing that until you've milled your deck Ooh. and then with the last trigger you return a thassa's oracle to play that's crazy yeah oh okay so okay so let me see if i understand he enters the battlefield. Uh, he triggers. Yep. And that trigger exiles five cards, but you don't target something until it has done that? 
You don't. So it's two triggered abilities is because this is, you know, a templating that they introduced like a couple of years ago mm -hmm. where, you know, if it was an if you do, then it's just one ability. It resolves if you pay that cost, then the thing happens and your opponent doesn't have time. So like they, they introduced these like nested triggered abilities so that your opponent can know if you're paying the cost and then has an opportunity to like respond basically. So now, you know, you exile and then you target a creature and then they can cast a, a graveyard removal thing on it. Whereas with kind of the the old way that we did abilities like this, it would be like when it enters the battlefield, you may exile five cards if you do return target creature to the battlefield. So then you put that ability on the stack, you target the creature, pass priority. If your opponent that like removes the creature then you don't have to exile the five cards because it's not going to do anything but with this wording you know to it, it's kind of more generous to your opponent in a way but what it means is that you don't have to pick the target until you've milled your cards you can wait you can mill your cards with the altar of dementia and then pick your target at the end so this just mills your whole deck with altar of dementia that's awesome uh so. altar of dementia legal in modern Altar of Dementia legal in modern. It did survive the all the bans because it doesn't actually do anything. Did so, they? You know, did they ban it at some point during Hogak era? They banned Bridge, but oh, I think when bridge. they banned Bridge, they didn't okay. ban Altar, and then they banned Hogak, and there was really no use for Altar anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Altar is one of those sleeper cards. You know, not only is there somebody sleeping on it, but also. But, it's sleeping right. in the it depths does, of the format, waiting for something. It does nothing until it is completely broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a cool um, little combo. And I, I like how um, Alter will mill for six, but you only have to exile five. So you can, like, save that Thassa's Oracle for later. <laughs> exactly. Even if you mill the Thassa's Oracle in, like, that first loop in an empty graveyard, like, this right. is just going to win you the game. Uh, it's a legend, so you can't get it back with Persist, but you can get it back with Goryeo's Vengeance, and that's enough. I, I mean, I'm like that feels like a deck to me, honestly. Yeah, Goryeo's Altar combo. Yeah, I'm, and I'm that, sure that yeah. you can build some like nested synergies into that package of cards. Yeah, I like it. That's awesome. I'm excited about that one. Yeah, like even if you just, even if you don't have the Altar out. And you just like Goryeo's this into play and return a, you know, a solitude or a grief or something like that and attack, you know, obviously this requires a pretty full graveyard, but then you like attack with this and return something else to play. Like that's a lot of value if you've milled yourself a decent amount. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure that there's like some other just like value stuff that you can get back. Like if you're a reanimate deck, you're also going to have, I don't know, Grizzlebrand in your graveyard. And, uh, you know, if you've got yeah, a stock or, or whatever, yeah. Or an Atraxa. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forget that we're in this new age. <laughs> yeah. And with, with this and Atraxa as your payoffs, like, all of your big things pitch to solitude and grief. So they don't really clog your hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Reanimate this. Get your Atraxa back for permanently. Attack with it. Get something yeah. else back. You know, it's a lot of cards, but... I'm liking this. It also does just kind of feel like a castable thing in long games and standard and maybe Pioneer. Yeah. Less likely in Pioneer, but... Yeah, six. I feel like six mana is that threshold of like, all right, you know, we can get there. 
Yeah, and it it's two permanents, and like this body is a six six vigilance menace lifelink, so that's not. <laughs> it's not like oh yeah, I got a body. It's like oh, you need to kill this. It's got my die. favorite keyword on there, lifelink. <laughs> lifelink. Yeah, let's gain some life, please. My next one that I picked out is a little more subtle. Uh, this is Rona, Herald of Invasion. This is one in a blue for a 1-3 legendary human wizard. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, untap it, and it taps to draw a card and then discard a card. So, you know, 1-3 looter that untaps every time you cast a legendary spell. And it's also got five and a black Phyrexian mana to transform it. Activate it only as a sorcery, and it transforms into a 5-5 trample. And whenever a source deals damage to her, that source's controller exiles a card from their hand at random. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield under your control. <laughs> Otherwise, you may cast it without paying its mana cost. So a lot of text, but mostly like this is a an above-rate looter that also you can pay five mana to turn it into a 5-5 trample. And <laughs> combos really well with like Mox Amber. And Ooh, yeah, uh, it's sad that Kethis is still banned in Pioneer, but... This it would be, could be amazing there. Yes. Would it be cast a legendary spell untap? That's crazy. Yes. Would be really, really strong there. But I think putting it together with like Mox Ambers in like Jeskai Ascendancy or just like this is a looter you can put into play in standard too and like feel pretty good about it. <laughs> but uh, I guess I have higher ambitions for it. Yeah. To, to break the fourth wall a little bit, I have I, I, I have our notes up. And I was reading uh, the front half of Rona with you, but I don't have the back half accessible to yes, me. I just kept going. And I just, I just wanted to share with the audience that I really enjoyed the experience of, uh, you know, excitedly waiting for you to read the back half to me and just not knowing when you were going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's a, when you said, and if it's a land, I was like, oh yeah, let's go. <laughs> We're still going. Oh, yeah, that's great. I, I think the joke is that it's it's a Phyrexian obliterator on the back. Like, it's a 5-5 trample, and then whenever it's dealt damage, like, it does a terrible thing to your opponent. Right. Is, is yeah. the concept. That's but, awesome. Um, cool. I like that one. I love a looter. We don't have yes. any looters right now. Well, we have looters that connect in standard to loot, but it's not the same. Yeah. There are also looters that have one toughness, and having three toughness is pretty nice. Like, yeah, that's still great. gets cut down, but doesn't die to the red removal as easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. You know, I'm a sucker for a looter. I probably overrate it by quite a bit. But next we have Ozolith, the Shattered Spire, which is probably one that I should have saved until uh, Lee was on the cast. But this is a card that I'm really excited about, so... One in a green for a legendary artifact. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on an artifact or creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on it instead. One in a green tap, put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact or creature you control, activate only as a sorcery, and it has cycling for two, so you, you never double up on your legendary artifacts. It's just an extra hardened skills, not on a body that dies to fatal push. With extra text, very nice. Yeah. I like how it says put a plus one plus one counter on target artifact or creature you control because I'm trying to bump up my vehicles. Sure. I mean, there's plenty playable vehicles running around and maybe even more after this set. Some of the <laughs> battles flip into vehicles too. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I can definitely name one vehicle that's running rampant on standard right now. Hooey! <laughs> yeah. Bankbuster doesn't really need to get that much bigger. I guess a 6-6 Bankbuster does hit really hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty big on its own. You remember, I don't even remember the name of this card. It's like a Thopter vehicle for two mana. A, a copter vehicle for two mana? Oh, was it a copter? Smuggler, the, the, smuggler's, the smuggler's copter. copter. Yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh man, yeah, vehicles that are cost two mana and do a lot are crazy. Uh, yeah, that one, brand new card type, uh, which, you know, traditionally gets overshot at some point early in its life cycle. Yes, yeah. Uh, which, you know, we got a brand new card type in this set. I don't know which one of these has, has overshot, but I think they, they played it less conservatively than I assumed that they would. And a bunch of the battles are like kind of, you know, you look at them and you're... I, I get excited looking at them because I'm like, I would like to figure out how to put this in a deck. I'd like to figure out how to construct my deck in a way that can flip these battles reliably without it without me being an aggro deck that's just giving up damage that I really wanted to deal. Like, how do I incidentally have bodies to flip these battles with that makes my opponent make bad plays? Um, it's it's neat little, like, deck-building puzzles to solve, and, and the payoffs feel worth it, at least on first read. So I'm, I'm excited for battles. I am excited for battles in a lot of contexts. A, it's kind of like this new thing, you know, and they might yeah. be really powerful, and that's great. But also B, just, like, thinking about how that's going to affect games of magic. I feel like if Planeswalkers was like the worst thing that's happened to magic, I think battles might be what Planeswalkers should have been. I think that's the idea behind them is it it's supposed to encourage board presence and combat step relevance yes. without being quite as snowbally. Exactly. Where, you know, they don't do anything, right? But they mm -hmm. reward you for playing magic the way that it's supposed to be played, which mm -hmm. is putting boots on the ground and tussling with your opponent. So I'm just excited about that. I think that that is going to be, you know, unless they really screwed it up with one of these, which is possible, where, you know, the battle is just completely broken and puts the game in a spot that is bad. I think that the concept is great. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm hopeful and excited for, for Magic with Battles. It is really funny that, like, we all acknowledge that that's what magic is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about attacking and blocking and having your creatures fight their creatures. And Constructed just never was about that until, like, the past seven <laughs> years or so. Yeah. Uh, just, it, like, it's what magic's supposed to be about, and it it never was. <laughs> right. They had to make creatures so good to make that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I, I'm glad that we're, we've kind of, like, wrenched ourselves into this era of, like, I think the standard right now is about board presence. And mm -hmm. I'm happy that's the case. I think that's what a standard format should be about. Um, and, uh, you know, and we also kind of still have, like, the intricacies that we know and like about other formats. Um, you know, counterspells being a thing that's, like, you know, kind of about board presence, but in a different way. And we don't have any combo right now, which is great. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying the standard format kind of for that reason of, like, yeah, I gotta be ahead on board and stay ahead on board and, you know, cast my spells better than my opponent. I do like a little bit of combo, especially if it's, like, 
oh, this combo gives me inevitability, but if you just curve out with creatures, I probably can't race that. Like, yeah. that's usually a, a nice thing to have in a format. Mm -hmm. I think that one example of combo that's, like, borderline for me is Lotus Field right now in Pioneer. Mm -hmm. I think it's, like, borderline because it's a little too good. It's a little too fast. And on the other side of that, I'm remembering, like, Jeskai Ascendancy combo in Standards mm -hmm. of Old as, like, another borderline deck, but it was borderline on the other side of things, or it was just, like, a little too bad. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, it's very, very tough to get the balance right there. Yeah, so that, like, ex that exact spot, I'm sure it exists somewhere in theory, um, but, you know, I feel like every time that they have a combo deck, it's either too good and gets banned, you know, like, uh, you know, the breach side of Lotus combo in Pioneer initially, or Inverter, or something like that. Uh, or it's just, like, not quite good enough, and then never sees play. Yeah. I think that the ideal combo deck might be a combo deck that's, like, really good and over the line, but extremely difficult to play. <laughs> that See, that sounds like a disaster of a deck to me. To well, I mean, we've been there the previously with crap playing ironworks in modern you know <laughs> i think that that qualified as like uh it was completely broken if you were incredible at it and it took us it took us how many years and the the brain of lee mcleod to be able to finally push it over the edge so <laughs> yeah i mean at some right like at some point everybody became good enough at it that it, it was a problem but yeah for a little while it was like you know there's five people who can win a tournament with this deck and some of them win every tournament with this deck. And that's like a... <laughs> and honestly, like, if that were to persist, and it's just like, only Matt Nass is capable of playing Kark Clan Ironworks, <laughs> uh, and also nobody can beat Matt Nass on Kark Clan Ironworks, like, that's probably not good if we take this to, like, that <laughs> extreme. Yeah, maybe. Um, you're kind of getting into, like, flesh and blood territory of, of hmm. dominance, where... Um, you know, I think the flesh and blood variance is a lot lower than magic. And we've mm -hmm. seen the same guy win like all of the last like three or four major tournaments. Oh, wow. And I love that. Getting um, to like smash like like melee levels of, of tournament control. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it does feel a little more like that uh, in flesh and blood. And I think that that's like good. Like I, you know, I'm excited about flesh and blood. And part of that is that like I want to be one of those people of like... Mm -hmm consistency in top eights to really like prove yourself like in magic you know you, you play all these tournaments and if you're great you can top eight like two tournaments in a year um you know yeah. and and that's you know that's i think that there's a lot to be said about that variance existing and making the game accessible to people you know mm -hmm. I, I think that's important but you know yeah i want to I want to grind chess for a year, you know? <laughs> right. Like, let's see. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And there's there's value in, in each approach for sure. Yeah. A kind of combo-y card that, you know, is just... You know, I'm just picking up cards that, like, inspire me. When I read it, I'm like, got to build a deck around this. Got to see if this works because it's cool. So we got the, the last cycle of Praetors, and they all flip into sagas so they have more text than you've ever seen on a magic the gathering card and that says something <laughs> yes this is urabrask two red red for a four four first strike whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell urabrask deals one damage to target opponent add a red mana and it has red 
exile Urbrask, then return it to the battlefield transformed under its owner's control, activate only as a sorcery, and only if you've cast three or more instant and or sorcery spells this turn. Oh. So a little, little Bergy kind of thing, and then the payoff is you get to flip it after you cast the last one with the mana that the last one gives you. The saga is the great work. Chapter 1, it deals 3 damage to target opponent and each creature they control. Chapter 2, create 3 treasure tokens. And Chapter 3, until end of turn, you may cast instant and sorcery spells from any graveyard. If a spell cast this way would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. Exile the great work, then return it to the battlefield front face up. So if you manage to flip the Urbrask <laughs> and there's like not a Leyline of the Void or whatever in play, then you get to this Chapter 3... You can cast spells from both graveyards, and also this flips back into the front side of Urabrask, so you get a mana back for each spell you cast, so you definitely win the game at that point. That's awesome. And it's all on a 4-4 body. Yeah, it's all on a 4-4 for 4, and, like, you know, sometimes you just slam it down on turn 4, and then maybe they kill it, and then if they don't, you definitely just get to go off on your turn. Uh, sometimes you'll have a mana up and then be able to keep casting spells. Kind of awkward that he gives you, like, red mana back because you can't cast consider or opt off of red mana sure but i don't know this card just i'd want to make it work i want to cast a lot of spells of your problems <sighs> yeah i mean <laughs> if you can go urbrask manamorphose i think you you've done it but there's only <laughs> really i don't know that i'm trying to cast urbrask in modern so much yeah no that's fair for sure i like it it's just a whole storm card like it's a whole storm deck in one card basically right yeah yeah, doing a lot of stuff. Man, they're really doing it for the legends these days. All these legendary uh, yeah. creatures. Dude, Mox Amber just like ticking up and up and up. Yeah. Mox Amber is in Pioneer? It is in Pioneer. Okay. And I I don't know. I would be willing to put some amount of money on in two years, Mox Amber will not be in Pioneer. Okay. Yeah, I could see it. Especially if they keep on printing legends at this rate. It's just yeah. so many legends. Yeah, I mean, I love it with Rona, Herald of Invasion. The you know, she's just another cheap legend that turns it on, and if you draw one a little bit later, you know, she loots away your extra Mox Ambers, but also cast it to untap her and get an extra loot is is really nice. Very good. Um, yeah. I'm not going to talk about Zimone and Dina because Lee really likes this card, so I want to give him the, the chance to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, save some for me, for sure. Cards that you will be interested in. Stoke the Flames is getting a reprint. That's coming back to standard. That's a throwback. Yeah. I, uh, I, I love some Stoke the Flames. I'm excited for it. Um, I played a lot of Stoke the Flames, Goblin Rival Master, Chain to the Rocks decks back in the day. That was <laughs> like my thing. I love those. Well, we always have, like, some sort of Goblin Rabble Master in Standard these days. True, so yeah. So, we do have Squee. The the rest of Standard has riven, risen up and above, I feel, yeah. that level, though, a little bit. <clears throat> Four damage to the, to the face from one card is still a lot, though. Oh, for so. sure. Yeah, no, that one has me very excited. I would love to tap a Phoenix Chick to cast a uh, um, yes. Stoke the Flames. I'm in for that. There is a pretty neat dragon fodder. I was just going to ask if there's going to be like, you know, dragon fodder-esque cards to go along with uh, Stoke the Flames. Yeah, I mean, so there is a dragon fodder. It's called Ral's Reinforcements. It's one in a red sorcery. You create two 1-1 blue and red elemental creature tokens, which 
I think in standard, it's mostly a, a dragon fodder. But if you have like a risen reef in play and you cast this, like you're doing it. So the elemental creature type on those tokens is, is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Like the battles all have so much text. I haven't really like picked any particular ones out. Like it's just we're just going to need to play with them. Yeah, in order I, to figure it's going to be out. a while. I mean, you know, it, it maybe people have have it figured out already, but like I, I just haven't really wrapped my head around like what these play patterns are going to look like and what For makes sure. a good playable battle. Don't know. Yeah, I mean, I really like the curve of you know the Vorak into Invasion of Zendikar, which is three and a green. For a, you know, when it ETBs, you search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle. So it's explosive vegetation, but it's got exactly three damage on it. So your Vorak threatens to flip it, and then it flips into a 4-4 Vigilance Haste that taps to add a mana of any color. So you just, like, cast a Traxa the turn after you play this. Like, you know, threatening to make the 4-4 is good, but also uh, explosive vegetation into a Traxa just kind of You've done it that's without flipping this. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I you know, I, I always laughed at explosive vegetation because you're kind of going from four to seven. And mm-hmm. at the time, like, you know, seven mana, that's too much. You know, like all my good stuff is six. <laughs> <Yeah>. But now <laughs> it's perfect. I it need is. to find and- my extra two colors and um, go from there. Yeah. And also, like, in a leyline binding deck, when you know sometimes you don't cast things exactly on curve and stuff but if you cast this on turn five and leave up a white mana now you definitely have domain so then you can cast so you're still doing something on the turn you cast your explosive vegetation you're still killing something so that's pretty strong and i also think that the last time we had an explosive vegetation we also had fires of invention and wilderness reclamation legal so (laughs) there you would never cast explosive vegetation in that you know context yeah yeah, we have our mana stuff covered. Um, yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. Lots of cool stuff. We will keep talking about it. We we have the whole set now. We had almost no cards last time we recorded, and now we have the whole set. But also, the pre-release isn't for a week and a half. So mm. we're going to take our time talking about these cards. Yeah, we can break it up. <laughs> we'll do a spoiler show eventually. Right, for sure. Oh, Monastery Mentor is in the set. Another key reprint, perhaps good with Stoke of Flames. Oh, I remember seeing that one. Yeah. I feel like people were asking for Monastery Mentor for a while to hit Pioneer. Kind of like well, assumed that it was like a good Pioneer card. So I think that uh, what you may have been seeing is uh, Jesse Robkin's joke about wanting Monastery Mentor in Pioneer. Because Monastery Mentor has been legal in Pioneer the entire time that Pioneer has existed. Oh, has it? Okay, wow. <laughs> it's just not actually playable. Amazing. But, you know, in Standard, I mean, may not even keep up in Standard because Standard doesn't have the the cheap cantripping to make it work. And also it just dies to, like, cut down and stuff, which is not ideal for your three job. But, right. Uh, very powerful. Oh, yeah, dying to cut down. It's, it's not, not exactly where you want to be. No. I guess it's always kind of died to Bolt. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it can live in that context. Yeah, there's probably a way to make it work. It's a really powerful card. Yeah. Evoke spells. Stoke the flames. Yes. Treasure crumbs. Yeah. 
maybe not in standard. Maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, we'll talk about more cards soon. Collins, thank you so much for stopping by. Really appreciate your thoughts on standard and some new cards. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Of course. Love it. Everybody else, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your time. That's it for us. Have a great week. Peace.